I didn't plan to start painting because of AI. I just started painting because I've been painting for 15 years and I don't know what else to do. But it's kind of nice that there's something handmade and that's kind of like an antithesis of AI. But I think design as a profession is definitely dying, probably dead in 10 years, for sure. Welcome back to The Creative Brief. Today is part two of my epic conversation with the great and powerful Mark Himian. Now we've already covered a bit of his early career, but where we go next, well, I can't wait for you to listen. Now, if you missed the first episode, be sure to check it out on YouTube, Spotify, or iTunes, and be sure to subscribe. Lots more great content coming every Monday. I don't know about you, but I'm just ready to jump into it. I'm Brian Athey, and this is The Creative Brief. I love that idea is... <laughs> of God as the creator. I love the idea that, you know, these things are provided to us and communicated to us. And we are these channels that can, with the proper amount of trust and belief, we can, we can manifest these things ourselves, or we can at least serve as an amplification for this plan. I think that's super profound. And if you, I don't think many people are aware of that. And Brian, if you don't amplify it, they're going to, they leave you they go, they go to somebody else. I think, I think ideas land. I don't know what the lifespan is of them. Maybe like two weeks, maybe three weeks, maybe 10 pages in a moleskin. But if you don't activate on them, they're going to leave. They're going to find another, they're going to go find another home because they're, they're alive. You know, they're entities. They, they are, um, creatures and I, and they want to be in the world. And the other thing though, I think, um, that's, hard to wrap your head around is wherever you're at in your life is a, uh, is a byproduct of you choosing to be there, you know, and no matter how much money you're making or where you're at, or if you're not happy in your relationship, or whatever it might be, the only person you have to look at is yourself. And I know how unfair that can sound. Trust me, I do, you know, after losing a marriage and relationships I cared about and, um, having, and I'm maybe just projecting, but looking in the mirror and be like, okay, I'm, I'm 48 years old. I have not had a startup that sold for millions and millions. I've had some good wins, but I have friends who are like building crazy houses and doing amazing things. And I have only myself to credit or to blame whatever word you want to use. Mm. Frankly, Brian, all I had to do is not quit YouTube. I would have just stayed at YouTube from 2011 all the way till now. I'm sure I'd have, who knows, five, six million in the bank from stock or whatever. But I've had a much richer life than if I would have just stayed there. I've been able to do a lot of really fun things and just followed my passion, followed what interests me and dive into things. And, you know, being an artist is also weird. I tell people I'm a painter and they're like, how many trucks do you have? How many guys work for you? Did you do any houses? <laughs> how fast can you do a four bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> and no, and no one believes oh, I can, I, no one believes I can pay for my life with painting and art. People don't like artists. People think artists are losers and they're hippies and they don't make a lot of money. And, and then you add on sound with it in psychedelics. And then people think I really lost my rocker. And then when they find out that I had a career in tech, then all of a sudden they treat me differently. They're like, oh, you're actually smart and whatnot. And I'm like, you know, oh, you're caught that happens and that's okay. You know, maybe I did the same thing to people and it's like me learning that lesson. 
but, um, well, it's people like, at, you know, you're the, cra- you're the crazy one for pursuing your passion and, <laughs> and finding God and truth and connection through these things that are well, where you are right now, instead of, you know, commuting every day and sitting in the cubicle and, you know, moving, gonna, uh, moving the boxes around. Like you, if you would just do that, we'd take you seriously. Is that what you mean? Basically, I will tell, I will tell you this. Everything is excruciatingly hard. Okay. Every job, every decision, being a dad, having kids, being single, uh, working at Facebook, not working at Facebook, being with a startup, go being an artist, being a writer. There is everything is as equally as excruciatingly painful and pulling your teeth. Just because you decide to do your passion doesn't mean all of a sudden some magic door is going to open and you're bounding into work every day. So happy because you're working on your passion. It takes even more rigor and more discipline and more balance in the mind to not like punch yourself in the face because of how hard it is. However, because everything is excruciatingly hard, choose your, choose the hard that you want to deal with and be with, you know, and really, really dive into it because you're no different than a Tim Ferriss. He just started 15 years ago (laughs) or however long he's been doing his thing, you know, and they've been honing their craft and they've been making it better and better and better. And, and, um, and I, it's, I don't know. I, I, I hate that I know this stuff at 48. I really wish I knew it at 26 or 24. I was so blind. I was so heads down, cared only about like, when I got to YouTube, all I cared about is like, I want to be the guy that redesigns YouTube. I was such an egotistical little brat. That's all I cared about. It was so stupid. We were, we were all there in our 20s. Well, you could have <laughs> had like, tick, you could have had TikTok and Instagram while you were doing it. You could have been... Um, <laughs> you could have been like broadcasting all that to the world. <laughs> you know, I, I've talked to, uh, I've talked to several folks that built up this big following and they started to be their brands. You know, they, they were creating this online persona and then they lost themselves to that online persona. Mm-hmm. And then they were kind of confronted with the reality, usually as they are burning out or they're kind of ready to make a transition that I've, I am, I, I don't recognize myself anymore. And mm. I worry about, I worry about my kids who are, you know, my oldest is 10 and approaching the age of, you know, being interested in YouTube and social and documenting everything. You know, they cut little YouTube videos, mm-hmm. uh, him and his buddies. And I worry about if any of them sort of gets that bug and they want to, start thinking about what their brand is so early, you know, developmentally when they come out of that, there's no, there's no opportunity to back up and remember who you were and sort of self-actualize again. You know, you're kind of, you go through the transition of growing up with that brand that you're building, or you're in your early twenties with that brand that you're building and you're sort of held to that forever or or at least it's it's well documented enough that people can always access it and measure you against it and that's to me as a as a parent very very scary and it's also something i'm very thankful that you know nobody was nobody was carrying around cameras in their pocket that recording high resolution video when i was in high school and and college cuz goodness i don't know if i could live some of that stuff down 
one of the philosophies I have on kids is that they're not mine. Going back to the channel idea, they came through me and through my ex-wife and they are their own, their own individual people. And I have one daughter who, like I said, became TikTok famous and, um, she got famous from a video on how to shave your private parts in the right way. <laughs> so you have a Whoa, good dad. Line. How did that go? <laughs> way, I mean, you know, look, it's, we lived in Hawaii and, and people would always compliment them on their bikinis. And so she's like, this is how you do it. And, um, I had to tell her, I'm like, you know, your mom's a quarter Japanese. You don't have a lot of hair to begin with kiddo. So I, I think perhaps that video was biased. But my point is, <laughs> my point in sharing that is <laughs> your kids are going to have their own path. And it's, um, mm. I don't know what your relationship is like with your parents, but as I've gotten older, they've, we've become siblings almost. And I tell my kids, I'm like, I am you. Like, I literally feel like a 16-year-old with 16-year-olds. I'm doing the best I possibly can. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Okay. Mm. and if you think when you're my age, you're going to know better, you're wrong. You're going to, I mean, maybe you yeah, will, maybe you'll have no, evolved. Nobody ever bit. gives you the manual. No. And, and, and the extreme version of this. Manual. Yeah. There's no instruction manual. And the extreme version of this is that you have, you really have no control over what kind of people or who they're going to be. You can influence it. You can touch on it a bit, but that core of who they are, of who they're going to become is going to come out no matter what, no matter what you do or the people around you do. This just is who, and, and the best thing is just to sit back, love them as deeply as you can. And this, this is a through line for this whole conversation. This is the same thing with, with employees that are not working well or people that aren't working well with you or things that are frustrating. Man, just love them. Just love them. Cause someone, no one is. Nobody is in their life. And if you can be that one person, and I don't mean, love doesn't have to be like, hey, man, I love you. It doesn't have to be like that. It can be really simple. It can be you look them in the eye, be like, hey, I get it. I see you. I understand you're frustrated. It can be that. That's simple. It can be, you know, on Twitter, just holding back maybe one tweet and not piling on when you can see someone's getting, getting having a hard time. And um, yeah. that shows a lot of love. That shows a lot of consideration. And when the kids are, are being corn, corn balls and they're videoing and you see their ego getting wrapped up their self-worth is like i am only worth the following count and whatnot you have to let them go through that they're going to go on the arc they're going to go five years in and then they're going to be like oh shit that what is this i didn't i don't know you can't teach that lesson to them they, we all have to learn ourselves i can't tell you anything dude everything i've said today it goes it's been going into your brain and you've been reflecting on it. I'm like, do I believe that or not? Well, yeah, maybe parts of that. That's cool. You know, I do the same thing. We all do the same thing. No one can tell us anything. We have to figure it out for ourselves. And so why would your kids be any different? You know? I, I'll say one more thing, hard. man, while you collect yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still hard. But no, we, I think you're right. Right. I think we don't right. own our kids. At we don't own our kids. That's all. We don't own our kids. They're individual. You are an individual person. I'm an individual person. They're individual people. And they came through you. You have a stewardship over them. And whatever they do, however they emerge, 
you know, you love them. You fucking love them. That's it. There's no, there's no offense. That's about it. Now, again, it's like, yeah, we're getting, we're getting so like wishy-washy with love, but there is a lot of practicality in how we can show up for people and parenting forces you to do that. I keep, you know, I have a lot of guy friends that are like in their early thirties and they're not married and they're full Peter Pans. And I, and you know, they, they want to go do plant medicine or psychedelics or whatnot. I'm like, dude, just go have a kid. Just go get in a Bro. monogamous long-term <laughs> relationship. If you want to better your soul, if you want to become a real man, get shack up, get a kid, learn. And you will not need to do ayahuasca. You will have plenty every day in your face, you know, crayons on the wall, et cetera. These are, this is, I think, one of the only ways you can grow up is by having a family. There's other ways to grow up. Don't get me wrong. But I think there's a real shift in maturity when you have to, you have to take care of something else. And there's nothing quite like, you know, some dog and cat, fine, but nothing quite like a human and their emotional and mental and physical needs. And I do think it's one of the, the main gates that, that we get to pass through. And I realize a lot of people can't have kids and there's complications there. So, you know, it's kind of unfair to say that's the only way to grow up, but, um, it certainly is, <laughs> it certainly is a sure way to grow up. A sure way to grow up. It is. <laughs> Brian, I'm sorry I've made you so pensive in this podcast. <laughs> Reflective? My gosh, I'm just like, I'm deep in my own soul right now. I'm thinking very deeply about, <laughs> about all, my, uh, all my life choices and certainly yeah, yeah. the yeah, people yeah. that I love the most, which is, I mean, what, what a better thing to reflect on than kind of digging deeply into all these things that are not all these things that we talk about often are, are these very superficial things and what you measure yourself by. It goes back to the question that you asked me at the beginning to close your eyes and, and strip these things away. And who are you at your essence? Who are you right? One of my favorite is always, who are you right now? Mm -hmm. And as soon as you get past that moment, you're constructing something. And behind that moment, you've constructed something. But mm -hmm. now, even before your brain has a chance to wrap around it, whatever that is, uh, is something that, I think we should all tap into more, certainly myself, because you do get in this, in this hurry and this rat race. And, and, uh, one of my favorite books is, is the ruthless elimination of hurry. And it's a, uh, it's a Christian book about how, how even when, uh, Jesus was being persecuted or how, even when uh, he, he knew he was about to be crucified, even when he had to go perform a miracle, he would stop and take moments to be present and to, to be with the people that he was with and appreciate uh, the full spectrum of life around him. And I don't know if we're necessarily geared for that. And I don't know if, I don't know if this current society is geared for that. I don't know if, if that's a construct, you know, everything from home prices and inflation rates and gas prices and, and COVID and everything else. I don't know if we're sort of forced to be in this desperate mentality, if we, if we feel like we're confined by our need to provide or our need to progress and we, we miss those moments, but I can certainly tell you that I've been a dad for 10 years and 10 years, it does not feel like mm. it feels like just a series of very quick moments. And 
when you realize that you start to real like you start to have in your late 30s your 40s these moments of of questioning what you've done up what you've done in that period of time that has caused you to miss those moments and were they worth it to to make you feel like 10 years was just a snap of a finger and was it worth it and i think that question of worth is it's something that everybody has to struggle with, whether they're, it's just something, it's a, it's a universal struggle and nobody talks about it. And so I, I think what I really appreciate, Mark, is that you've, the, re, the reason I'm reflecting so much is that this is in no way a superficial conversation. When I talk about stuff like this, it makes me dig deep and think. It makes me feel deeply. Um, and I I wish that, things were so that more people had to do that because I think that, I think that there would be a lot more empathetic and happy people. I'll share something really, really curious to me as I've started to do this psychedelic work for others. Um, a lot of Mormons have come and sat. Mm. A lot of Christians have come and sat. I had a youth pastor come sit a Christian youth pastor from one of these mega churches down here in Orange County. I've had uh, atheists sit. I've had Muslims sit. I've had um, Jewish people sit. Every faith, okay? And initially I thought, okay, if they sit with psychedelics, I don't want them to dismantle their personal relationship with God. I think it's too destructive. What I found was the opposite happened. The people who were Christian became like super Christian. (laughs) The Mormons became like super Mormon. Everyone, everyone kind of created a deeper experience with what their understanding of God is. And when I say that I am God, you know, that's very much my own kind of interpretation of the emotions and the things that I felt. But reflecting back to kind of what you're sharing, this, this concept of self and who we are, depending on what that belief system is, is how we will treat everybody around us. It is the foundation of, of our principles of how, what we think is honest and virtuous and all these things. And I've been really shocked at how psychedelics have tapped back in, has tapped people back into themselves. Well, it is a historically very, for, for way longer than most of human history, the psychedelic experience has been part of ritual and religious practice. Yeah. Correct. I mean, Correct. it's only reason. What? Why do you think this medicine, I would call it, is so stigmatized? Is that a? Is there a function of criminalizing and stigmatizing a psychedelic experience? I, I think. I think to open that can real quick. There's a lot of different molecules you can put in your body. Some of the molecules are kind of dumb. Like I think the cocaine molecule and the heroin molecule don't, don't really do too much. They get a little bit too much credit. Um, alcohol certainly, you know, is not that, in, they're just not that interesting. They don't, they're, they're, when you take them into your body, not much really happens. You get an energy boost or you lose your inhibitions. That's about it. Um, I tend to call, I tend to call psychedelics. I tend to call them supplements. I, oh, I don't okay. use the word medicine for me because Tylenol is like a medicine. I take it. I don't do anything. But with a supplement, I have to participate with it. I have to come and meet it halfway. 
the reason they have a stigma about them is because I, if, if you're dealing with psychosis, if you're dealing with schizophrenia, if you're dealing, if you're already taking antidepressants and anti-anxiety, you know, anti-anxiety medicines, you should not take psychedelics. You should hold off on those things and you should address kind of the reason of why you're taking these things in the first place. And I do think there are, there are some, there are records of people taking psychedelics and having really bad experiences because they didn't get the set and setting right. And they didn't have the support that they needed to have that journey turn into a positive because there aren't, there's no such thing as a bad trip. There really isn't, but there is, there is bad integration and there is bad interpretation and support for what you can experience. So specifically, um, I had a woman sit one time who ended up writing in her journal about, a. uh, being molested at the age of three and the next, you know, she, she didn't, she's never remembered this. This was a new thing for her. And um, she's like, did that really happen? Like, what is that? What happened there? And, you know, we have, I have a, 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 a bunch of different therapists and folks that I, you know, assign people to after their journeys, if, if they need help kind of integrating the information that they get. But you can imagine in, in a structure where she just, did that psychedelic experience on her own, had the stuff come up and then kind of was lost in it. I think that's one reason people have bad exposure to these things where they took a bunch of mushrooms when they were 19 after they've been drinking and doing a bunch of cocaine and they were at Coachella or something. And they have a really bad experience. These things are not, these are powerful, powerful things. And so you don't want to mix them with anything. You want to be really thoughtful, do them with, with intention, do them consciously and do them on, do them on purpose. I, I don't, sure. I you know, I don't think you should take these things recreation. I, I guess let, yeah. me, let me reframe that question. What sure. I, I guess what I was asking about is that, you know, I grew up in the, in the Bible belt, um, you know, big, big Baptist church right down the street from where I grew up. And the philosophy is always, you know, it's, it's believing without seeing faith is a conscious act. You have to, you have to just believe. There are going to be some things in this book that you can't understand. There are going to be ways that God acts that you can't understand. But psychedelics and the psychedelic journey often validate and provide access to people. These things that otherwise would be mythological. You know, what I'm curious about is, is that because it's such a woven part of our human experience and our history, why the cut why the cutoff of that access why why would we as a society con- consciously make the decision to limit access to the greater than the interconnectedness god if there were substances natural substances that were put here to give us that access i think that's what uh, that's what i'm asking about like is there is there intention behind criminalizing it or stigmatizing it? I'm gonna share, you know, my my I'll share my feeling on it. It's certainly not the right answer, but it's an answer. Um when you manage a big team of people, 30, 40 people, and you get into a meeting and you say, Hey, I think it should be blue. And then the mock-ups all turn blue the next time. 
there's a very weird sense of godlike power that comes with this. When you are, when I was a missionary, I was a Mormon missionary for two years, and I was asked to give blessings to people and whatnot. We would teach people things. And because we were a missionary and dressed in a certain way, they would listen to every word we said. When you are a preacher, when you run a church, when you have power over certain people for any given reason, and, and that power is, can be disrupted in, in any way, then we have to remove that. What I mean by that is for religion specifically, and I'll, I'll just speak about Mormonism because it's what I know. If I don't have to rely on a bishop to go through a repentance process to come back to God, and I can just do that on my own, then I don't need to pay 10% tithing. I don't need to go take the sacrament on Sunday. I don't need to participate. I don't need to live. I, I can just, I don't need to be Mormon. Hmm. I can access God's love all on my own. And if I don't need, if I don't need to go up and declare Jesus Christ as my savior in the front of the church at, you know, Calvary Chapel over here, and I can just access God on my own, it removes the need of having a church and having a pastor and having any of that. All that stuff disappears. You can still be Christian. You can still have a belief that Christ consciousness is the glue that, you know, gives you happiness. But this applies everywhere, whether it's, you know, Islam, Judaism, it doesn't really matter. They all have constructs in churches and man-made organizations that depend on an individual's belief in that man-made organization. Mm -hmm. So if something's going to threaten those man-made organizations, I imagine there would be a lot of effort made to say, that's dangerous. Don't go there. Don't think about it. And from Bob Marley to John Lennon, all sorts of free thinkers have, you know, they have died early. And I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't like to go down those rabbit holes. But I will tell you that it's dangerous to people to think freely. If I were to say to you, when Moses with the burning bush, what if that burning bush had psychedelic properties? And what if the Ten Commandments, when he came down and met Aaron and everyone with their golden calf and hanging out, what if those Ten Commandments were a result of a psychedelic trip? There's some, there's some writing that think that that might be true. Yeah, the acacia, the acacia tree. Exactly. Yeah. There, there are, you know, and there are plenty, there are plenty of, there's, when, when Christ went to the Garden of Gethsemane, some think that was also a psychedelic trip. Now, what is a psychedelic trip? All it is, is a quiet moment with your subconscious. That's why I said earlier, it's to, to see who you really are. And who you really are is all parts motherfucker and all parts amazing. It's everything. Okay. <laughs> that is, that is, that is, that is the part of us that when you can accept it and Christ did this. Okay. He looked at that. Um, the, the woman who touched him, he's like, you know, life is grace has gone out of me or whatever. That was a prostitute that touched him. And he looked at her with love and, you know, and he loved that person no matter what. And that lady, who who knows if she was getting railed nine ways to Tuesday for, for the last 20 years of her life in, in a Christian value, that'd be like, that's, that's bad or whatever. And to know that that's inside of you and me, that Brian, you're just a little slut and you're also a dad and you're also 
dirty minded and you're, you know, you, you pass gas and you're like, I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. That, I see that's you. for sure. Yeah. No, that's yeah. Right. Everything that you are is beautiful and glorious. All your motherfuckerness and all your loveliness. And so. Tell it to my wife on a bad day. <laughs> she has it too, man. She has it too. She has it too. And so, and so the reason I think the psychedelics get a really bad stigma is people um, project their fears. They're really scared of doing this. Psychedelics are not fun. You know, it's work. It's challenging. It's, um, it's a, it's a deep interpret, deep relationship with self. So, you know, the more people know, the, the, the more powerful they are, the more powerful they are, the harder it is for organizations to keep them in control. I don't want to harp on that too much because I sound like a conspiracy theorist. No, I, I, I appreciate it. Well, I've got one, one other thought on that and it's, it sort of stems from an earlier part of the conversation, but okay. Say, say you've defined yourself by your income and your, your title. And then all of a sudden a computer comes along, a, a computer program, a, an artificial intelligence comes along and makes that thing that you measure yourself by obsolete. I think that that's something that a lot of folks will be confronting. I mean, inevitably over the course of the next few years, if not certainly the next decade. And I think that that's going to be a really hard experience for a lot of folks that aren't able to take stock of themselves and take stock of their lives and find an artistic pursuit or a constructive pursuit. And I wonder, you know, having been someone who's made this journey, what you can forecast there as the experience is going to be like. Cause I, I think that our AI is a, is an excellent tool and it's a, in a lot of ways it's a companion, but I don't think that that's the limit of what it's going to be. I think every designer should find a new job because it's too easy now to stand up a landing page, to do a logo, to make some social media assets. It's too easy right now. In a year, it'll be stupid. And what's going to happen is any just normal person can design. And, you know, it's like I don't hire someone to use Word or whatever it is, Google Docs. I just use oh, Google Docs good, and, yeah. I a, good you know, and I write, write, write an article. And um, it's, it's just that simple. It's already that simple. And is it, it's good enough. The delta between really high-end design and good enough is so small now that the woman who's building a yoga studio is going to use Canva or Wix and whatever AI tool they've built into that, use Kajabi to do their course. If you open up Kajabi right now and you say how to design and hit their little magic button, it will write your course for you. All the chapters, everything. All you got to do is turn your camera on and read exactly what it wrote. Any, any course you can imagine is, will all be written for you. Okay. So I didn't plan to start painting because of AI. I just started painting because I've been painting for 15 years and I don't know what else to do. But it's kind of nice that there's something handmade and that's kind of like an antithesis of AI. But I think design as a profession is definitely dying, probably dead in 10 years for sure. Unless it's some really complicated software. I think, I don't know. I think photo shoots are still cool. I think creative direction is probably still interesting strategy, but man, the, I, the pixel moving is 
it's going to be tough. Your analogy with with uh, Word docs, and you don't hire somebody <laughs> to do a PowerPoint for you, or you don't hire somebody to do your, your Word you just doc. Do it. I, it's yeah. true. It's made it's made access to these. To, you know, if if you've used Photoshop or Illustrator, like I know you have, it's there's a steep learning curve because it's all mm -hmm. buried behind this interface. Mm -hmm. And even once you learn the interface, there are layers and layers and layers of things to learn on top of that. And if you give somebody the option of that or talking to a computer and through just vocal dictation, you can generate something. You had this great idea the other day I wanted to ask you about, which was essentially apps on demand. Talk mm -hmm. to your talk to your AI and create something on the fly, use it and then wad it up and throw it away like it's yeah, like it's a paper towel. Totally. I, I had a thing the other day, like um, I needed to split up uh, what kids are going to do the laundry, who's going to do the dishes, who's going to do this. And I know there's a bunch of chore apps, but I would just been like, uh, Kylie and Kylie needs to do the wash every other day. Vaughn needs to do the dishes every other day. Uh, make me a little app that they can check off and like, mm -hmm. just do, like, that's an example. I would do that in two seconds and it'd be like, and be like, all right, dudes, we're using this. Um, and that's such an exciting thing because it makes almost everybody a creator. But it, yeah. for the creators, especially the ones that are entrenched in their designer identity, I'm a brand designer, I'm a product designer, I'm an interface designer, I'm a it it's there's gonna be tremendous resistance. I watched the blowback from that tweet. I watched people say, like, you know, race to the bottom and there's so much that goes in. And it's like, I don't know. Like, I I feel like designers, I'm just myself included. I'll watch like the the chat GPT updates or whatever the new tool is, or you'll scroll scroll through Twitter and you'll see everybody, you know, talking about the new thing. And every time, every time those big updates come out, I'm just like, oh yeah, they're doing it. They're doing it. Like it's never, it's not, it's not only what you think that it could be, but it's also like five or six steps beyond that. And you're like, oh man, like time is, time is limited. Like it's not, it's, it's not, uh, I had, I had another thing go kind of viral because I put all my blood work into chat GPT like eight months ago and it told me everything wrong with my liver. I said, what should I do? It's like, you need to start donating blood. So Brian, I got a prescription because you're not allowed to donate. You can only donate your blood once every two or three months. You have to get permission to donate your own blood more than once a month. I've been doing that for six months and my, all my blood stuff is like killer. It worked. ChatGPT saved my liver. My liver markers are down. Everything's great. I had too much iron in my blood. That's all gone. I tore my shoulder. Same thing. Fed my MRI in. I'm like, what is up? It's like 25% tear here, here, here. Give me a PT thing. And I, I called my doctor and I said, hey, can you interpret this? He's like, well, you got to come in. It's 500 bucks. I'm like, I'm on the phone right now. What I don't, what do I need to do so it can become, do I need surgery? Yes or no? You got to come in. Dash chat GPT, it's like, you do not need surgery. In 99% of these cases, no, you do not need surgery. You can strengthen the muscles around it and you'll be fine. Thank you. For free, save 500 bucks. And so, you know, everyone needs to level up their customer service, their interpretation of how they're dealing with people. And we got to step up, man, because AI can do everything. You can do anything you can think of. It cannot paint a painting, thank God. And it cannot have a and it can't have a conversation with another person like this. You know? Although maybe it can at some point, but 
Well, we'll, we'll, eventually, we'll eventually be integrated with these things. And it'll see, this is, this is my theory. When everybody talks about the neural link and, and connectedness to the system, I think that this is where our psychedelic discussion overlaps. Because I do think that if we can be, if there is such a thing as a, as an integrated interface and we truly are connected, meaning that if I wanted to be in Costa Mesa right now, seeing through your eyes, connected to your experience, that there is a potential for me to be able to do that all the time with everyone all at once. And if that's the case, time, space, all these you, constructs that we talk about really do start to break down. And it, it's, a, it's I at that point, that's, that. that's when you really do have to start thinking about, well, maybe we need to create a simulation to get us out of our heads. But Brian, last night with that podcast or that space with Darius, Michael Darius, mm -hmm. there was a point at the end where people were saying, Hey, you know, like good luck. He had shared stuff about not being with his kids and some pretty heart, heart stuff. Right. We're able to feel that. I felt it. And I know people in the audience felt that. So what, Dude, what is that shared experience where there's a thousand people, 2000 people dropping in with somebody? I know, I know that I feel connected to people all the time, especially, and I think that's why Twitter can be so aggravating. Sometimes you'll see someone say some bullshit and then you see it like rat race down. Do my heart just breaks. And I know we're all feeling that at the same time. And I wonder how we can, you know, I don't know. I mean, my answer for me is in my little corner of the world here is to provide this experience for people, teach people about it if they want to know more. Um, I thought about starting like a little institute almost and, you know, providing this at a bigger level, but it's, it's hard to do. This is a hard thing to scale, you know? I, I think that because you have taken this, I think there's no greater guide than the one that's been on the journey. <laughs> blind leading the blind. <laughs> and I, well, I mean, just like you tell your kids, like, I don't know what I'm doing either. You know, I'll tell you what, listen, what I do, what I do, what I do think is especially interesting about where I'm at in my life is, is, is I've been through the divorce, you know, 20, I was married for 20 years. I have, my kids are older now. I've done, I've raised money. I've done the startup thing, a big company thing. I've done the freelance thing. I've done the fine art thing. I feel like I have a lot of empathy and compassion for where a lot of people are in their, in the transitions of their life. I would like to dedicate more of my time to helping others when they're transitioning in their life. And that can be in a relationship, that can be in their job, that can be, you know, their relationship to God, whatever it might be. And I don't know how to, I don't really know where to go with that. I don't know how to do that, except to provide these things, these sound journeys once a month that ends up developing some really cool relationships with people through art, you know, these, these paintings I do are meditations, or at least they're my interpretation of meditation. Are you invested? Um, how, how many hours do you invest in a typical painting? Days? <laughs> a few weeks, probably. Weeks. <laughs> yeah. The hourly, the hourly rate is low. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I do think that there are going to be, especially when it comes to this AI conversation, a tremendous amount of people that will be in transition. Like we're talking about huge, huge swaths of our population because it's not just creative arts. It's not just, it's mm -hmm. not, or creative careers. And it's not just the accountant that lives next door or 
the doctor that you mentioned, it is, it's going to span, it's going to span the globe and it'll, it'll, it'll touch almost everybody. And I, I think that we can use that as an opportunity for good or bad. And if, if God has made it part of your walk to be, to have gone through a transitory experience at the time that you did, then I'll be excited that you're, that you're a guide on the other side of it. I truly will. I, I appreciate it. I had this, um, military guy sit one time and he had this bear tattoo on my chest and he had a really, he had a really hard journey. Okay. And he, he ended up grabbing my shirt and he saw the bear and he, and he, then he said, Oh, we, I need to wrestle the bear. I was like, no, you don't need to wrestle the bear. No, the bear good. We're good. <laughs> love, go toward the love. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I took him into another room and he, and he wrestled, he wanted to wrestle. And so we wrestled and, um, he's very strong, you know, military guy, military ripped, guy. Yeah. Super strong. And so, um, but eventually he, you know, his energy kind of went down and then eventually he just wanted to be held and he called me his father and he wanted to reconnect to that child self. Mm. And, you know, I can't tell you how, when I talk to people, mostly I see them as like their seven-year-old self. You know, I see seven-year-old Brian like trying to raise these other young kids. I'd be wearing a Batman and, costume. Well, yeah. And <laughs> when you see people at work having these intense arguments or getting triggered over, you know, whatever whatever news thing is happening, I just, man, I just can't help but look at people as like seven-year-olds right now crying out, just wanting to be recognized and held and uh, and understood and talked to. And again, I... I hear myself saying these things and I'm like, God, this is so oversimplifying really complex things. But I held that man for an hour and he cried and he, when it was done, he did, he kind of remembered. He didn't really remember. He goes, mm -hmm. were you my dad or something? And I was like, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. And he said, he said that it was the first time that he was able to really forgive his father and really sit in a space where he could connect with his father. And you don't need psychedelics to do this. Mm. You can do it right now. You can go inside yourself and see who are the people living rent-free in your head that you haven't forgiven, that you're holding blocks on, that you're pissed off at. And you can, you can tap into the love of those people and have compassion and forgive them and reach out with loving kindness and, and say the things you need to. And people do this in 12 step program. They do this in a lot of programs where they just hit a wall and they have no choice, but to reconcile. But we we shouldn't let ourselves get to the place where fucking everything's fucking falling apart where we don't, you know, don't wait until your marriage until you're on divorce's door to say the thing that you know, you should say you go to bed, you know, you should say it, but you withhold it because you're an egotistical maniac. And you want to like hold power and you don't want them to know that you have a little bit of like softness inside of you for them. Cause then they might use that against you. So what if they use it against you? Who cares? You might die tomorrow, you know? And, um, my father passed, my stepfather passed in August. And I think thinking deeply about 
the things that go unsaid. I mean, when Steve Jobs was at the end of his life, same thing. He's just like, all these people at the end of their life, they all say the same thing. It's just like, it doesn't really matter. The money, those, these things don't matter. What matters is the relationships that we have with one another. But um, we get in our own way of saying the thing we should say. We just get in our own way, you know? And it's unfortunate because you're one moment away from your heart bursting wide open and that burden you're carrying being gone forever. That's why people like Christianity so much, Brian, because you can go up to the front and feel this forgiveness with immediacy. I've always felt like it was a little bit of a misnomer, though. It's kind of like kicking some stuff under the carpet because you're still not forgiving those who have hurt you or you're still not reflecting upon what kind of brought you to your knees in the first place. You said it's hard, not easy sometimes. Yeah, it's hard, not easy, man. So, you know. I love designers so much. I think they're so gifted. I think the designers that I've met and known, and I've known thousands of them, are closer to the veil than other people. They're closer to accessing and channeling these things that come from source, energy, God, whatever you want to call it. And um, in the in I you know I I hope that people can tap into that to discover what's next for them, because because uh, it is. AI is automating AI. The thing about AI though, is it is a remnant of the things we have already channeled. It can only interpret and reinterpret what has been fed to it, which is what humans have channeled. So therefore what we can do that AI cannot do is channel information from God and energy and source. We are the ones that write the new music. We are the ones that paint the new pictures. Okay. AI cannot do that. It can reinterpret. We have to continually feed this thing. So, you know, the original, does that make sense? Like this, like we are the origin. By all means. <laughs> this podcast, if it makes any sense, I will give you $5. <laughs> like how? I just want to, I just want to do this all the time, man. Like I just, <laughs> I, I just like, I, I need like a recurring segment. I need like, this is both therapy and like, it's challenging and it's also just so, so interesting to get to talk to you on, on this level. And I think it's a great challenge. I mean, I, we're about an hour and a half in, I, I would love to leave everybody with a challenge of just get out of your own way. And that there are, there are moments that are coming that you cannot predict or expect. And all you can do is know yourself and trust that you can get through it. Enlightenment is this idea that People think enlightenment is like transcending to a new version of yourself. Enlightenment is shining a light inside the room that already exists in you. It, it's already inside you. You're just shining in light. You're shining a light in the corner on these aspects of yourself that you didn't even know were there. You're right. You're not becoming this other thing. And so, Stop waiting you know, to go somewhere. You're already yeah. there. <laughs> if anyone has any... Feel free to DM me. I'm happy to answer any questions people have. How do they how, how do they find you, Mark? Just Hemian at H E M U N anywhere. Hemian on Twitter, Instagram, wherever. Well, I'm so grateful for the conversation. <laughs> I really am. Like, I don't know what you're laughing at. Like, I I I feel weird. I feel it's a lot of energy, and so I'm laughing nervously because leaving the Mormon church. I have a lot of friends I've never talked to again. 
and I'm just laughing at the ridiculousness of sitting in front of a gong talking about <laughs> this stuff. <laughs> and just the utter wild world, like, you know, design as a career is like, we literally said it's an, an existential crisis and it's it going to leave. And like, just the ridiculousness of it all. I just can't help but laugh. I'm just like, holy shit. Reality is wild, man. <laughs> Reality is wild. It's so wild. I, I like had all these things I was trying to think through to be like profound, but you know, meanwhile, everyone's hung up on design systems and all this other stuff. And well, we can always go back to arguing about that on the next podcast. Yeah, there you go. Actually, yeah. the most surprising thing is that I haven't talked to one guest that is really interested in talking about pushing pixels, which I'm yeah. very thankful. I imagine for. not. Yeah, I imagine not. Well, we should. We're, we're, I guess we've wrapped it up, haven't we? Let's let's wrap it there. I feel like that's a good spot, and let's do it again soon because we were like we are we are like charging headlong into these uh, transitory existential crises that oh, we've God. we've been projecting. So we're going to need to hear a lot more from you, and I'm going to need to hear a lot more from you to just get me through it. So please uh, <laughs> please don't be a stranger. All right, thanks thanks Brian, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. it was, this was a lot of fun. I love it, man. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for this conversation. Mark really helped me take this podcast to new heights, and I'm so thankful for what he shared. Now, if you've got any questions for Mark, I'm sure he'd love to hear from you on Twitter or Instagram. In the meantime, I'd love for you to subscribe to this channel wherever you're listening. It helps me broaden the reach of this podcast and produce more episodes. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Brian Athey. See you next time. <laughs>